All right. Everybody say buckle up. So we're going to do a mega theme. We're kind of, I'm going to finish this up one, this week. I think Steven's here next week, and then we're going to do one more. And you say, well, what's the point with this last things, Kevin? Last days kind of stuff. Because it's a mega theme in the Bible. That's one of the reasons why. So just give you a little background. I come from a church that like every third message was on the return of Jesus. You couldn't go to that church for a month without somebody uh, talking about the return of Jesus. And then I've been to churches where they don't feel like it's important at all. Um, but the Bible thinks it's very important. So there's almost, there's over 800 verses given to the return of Christ alone in the Bible. That makes it a mega theme, a mega, everybody say it with me, mega theme. So you know how scripture works. There are themes, there are dominant, there are, there are, there are like lesser themes. There are, there are consistent themes. There are dominant themes and there are mega themes and the mega theme. Love would be a mega theme. The goodness of God would be a mega theme. So the return of Jesus, the establishment of his kingdom is what's called a mega theme in the scripture. And last week we talked about Daniel. Nobody unpacks it quite like Daniel. Um, there's several books in the, uh, in the scripture that highlight it. And uh, there's a consistent river. There's many rivers from Ezekiel to Isaiah uh, in the Old Testament, Genesis, uh, Zechariah, uh, Joel. All of them flow towards the common theme of the return of Jesus, the manifestation of Jesus, the return of Christ. In the New Testament, you have it that was Paul consistently taught on the return of Jesus. You see it in Matthew, um, definitely Matthew chapter 24 is the fullness. Luke does the same thing. The entire book of Revelation is based on that concept. So you, so the return of Jesus isn't something we should say with me. Say this with me. We should not be ignorant. Come on. You don't have to be a theologian, but I'm going to try to break this down to you. I'm going to put the cookies on a low shelf so that you can get an understanding as to kind of what's going on. And you have an awareness. The Bible says that you are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, we're not to be dark. We're not to be in darkness. We're not to be in ignorance. We're not to be swayed by things that go on within the world that are just part of the process of ending up where, where, the, where the world eventually is going to end up. Forgive my spelling. So Nubu, Nubu that's Nebuchadnezzar. So what's happening here, we're going to go from Daniel. We're going to do Daniel chapter 2, not the whole chapter. Do Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and Revelation 13. So if you want to, if you have your Bible or if you have your phone Bible and you want to reference, that's where we're going to be jumping back and forth. I'm going to give you summaries. Children of Israel are in a place called Babylon. They had revolted against the Lord. And because they had revolted against the Lord, they had a covenant with God that said if they were faithful to the Lord, they could remain in the land. This is Old Testament. This isn't new. And because of their, because they were unfaithful, the Lord said that they had to leave the land. And so he allowed uh, the king of Babylon to come and take them away. And they were to be taken away for 70 years. The, the idea was, here's what happened. They were supposed to let the land rest every seven years. So for 490 years, they didn't let the land rest. Every seventh year, they were to let the land rest. They were to honor God just simply as, everybody say it with me, just simply as a matter of obedience. Sometimes Jesus says things to you and instructs you for no other reason other than for you to obey him. Did you know that? There's no no particular reason for it other than to train you to be obedient. Bible says obedience is greater than sacrifice. And to obey is greater than the fat of rams. The greatest offering. Well, I'm going to worship the Lord and I'm going to do what I want. Who told you that? 
So sometimes God tells you things in your life or he gives us instructions, not just through the scripture, but as Christians individually, he will give you a direction and a mandate over your life but for no other reason than to get you to obey it. No other reason. Because you need to learn obedience. Bible says, I led you in the wilderness with his voice that you would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from his mouth. You don't live by you. You don't live by bread. You don't live by your own abilities, your own uh, uh, just skills. You don't live by cultural mindsets. As a Christian, you are brought into a kingdom under a king, and we are not to obey voices within our culture. We're not even to we're not even under under necessarily a church culture. We're under a kingdom culture, and our job is to obey the voice of our king, not as we think, but as he says. And so God told him, "Yeah, wow, thank you. I got one. Wow, that's why. That's right." That's right. I got one. I got one. That's all I need. And so, um, <laughs> and so what happens here is that God would tell them six years, you can work the land, but on the seventh year, you let the land rest. Why? Because it is a year wholly devoted to me. They could party the whole year. They could have work. Wouldn't you like to have, wouldn't you like to have to work for six years and then you get the whole year off? That's the way that we're supposed to work six days and we're supposed to party with Jesus on the seventh. That's the idea. It's a cycle of sevens. It's six around seven. That's always God's cycle. Six around seven, six around seven. And so they were to let, they were to work the land for six years. And on the seventh year, they were to let the land rest. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you double portion during the sixth year. You won't have to work, right? Your, your salary, in, in, they double your salary in the sixth year <laughs> so that you can pay for year six and year seven. But what happened was, is that commerce began to consume them. And because they were so, they were, they, they're like, well, I can't afford to take that year off. Or I can make more money on that year off, you know? And so that's what they did. And so they, they broke covenant with God and began to walk in accepted cultural norms. And in doing so, they accumulated what God viewed as a debt said, you owe me 70 years for 490 years. You didn't let that you did. You, you forsook the Sabbath. So therefore you're I'm going to get my 70 years back. You're going to move out of the land and the land will rest for the 70 accumulated years that you did not give me. And that's exactly what happened. They were, they were taken out of the land because they broke the agreement that they had made with the Lord. And the whole time he keeps telling them, listen, just do what I'm asking you. No, no, we don't need to do. So they're in Babylon And while they were in Babylon, they would be in Babylon under two empires. Babylon eventually would change governments. A different country would conquer Babylon while all during the 70 years. Daniel was taken there when he was about 16 years old. And he was trained in a school. The King Nebuchadnezzar, he liked good looking guys, right? Young people, good, all the young, all the best of the, of, of every culture that he conquered. He brought into his house. He trained and equipped them. He gave, uh, Daniel another name called Belshazzar, not Belshazzar, but Belshazzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anybody ever heard of those guys? Right? All of those guys were given, those are all Babylonian names that he gave to, they, they were some of Daniel's friends, and, they, and he would give them Babylonian names. He would assimilate them into his culture. Daniel actually was being schooled in the school of the, um, uh, the, Zora, the Zoroasters, which is the schools of the Magi, which is where the Magi, anybody ever heard of the Magi? The Magi's came from the Babylonian Empire. There was a, they were a cult, a religious cult of Zoroasters. They worshipped, they, they weren't astronomers. They were astronomers and astrologers. So here's Daniel, like Moses. Moses was educated in all of the formalities of Egypt, all of the spiritual practices of Egypt. And so here's Daniel in a school 
in Babylon being educated in the school of the Magi. In the second year of King Babylon, the king of Nebuchadnezzar took over the reign for his father. He brings, he brings, um, uh, he brings the Jewish people to the country. And in the second year of his reign, he has a dream. So Nebuchadnezzar's been on the throne for two years. And he has this crazy dream. And what does he dream? All right. So he dreams. This is Daniel chapter 2. And he has this dream. He sees a statue that has a head of gold. It has a chest and arms of iron, of, of silver, has a waist of bronze, and has two legs made out of, of iron. And it has feet made out of iron and clay. And he's like, what the heck is that? And while he's looking at the dream, this rock, ready, uncut with human hands, an uncut rock flies out of a mountain and smashes the statue at its feet and the whole thing comes tumbling down. And Nebuchadnezzar is tormented by this dream. so He brings in all of the magi, right? All the people that are supposed to know what's going on. He brings them in and he says, here's my dream. And none of them could interpret it. And so Nebuchadnezzar is going, I'm killing them all. I'm killing all these guys. These guys are worthless to me. He's not, he's not exiling them. He's going to kill them. So you can understand who these, what kind of guys these people were, right? So the king goes, none of y'all can interpret my dream. None of you. No, no, king. We, we, we can't. How are we supposed to know? We, we don't know the secrets of the gods. We, how are we supposed to know this? He goes, that's what I pay you for. And he's going to kill them all. And then Daniel steps in. They're going to kill all of the wise men, all of the magi. And Daniel goes, listen, give me a little bit of time. Dreams come from the Lord. And I believe my God will give me the interpretation of this dream. Just give me a little bit of time to pray. So Daniel, everybody say it with me. Daniel prayed. Say this. Daniel asked the Holy Spirit. And so he comes to to King Nebuchadnezzar and he interprets the dream. And what the Lord is showing him, say this with me, a progression of a timeline. Nebuchadnezzar is seeing the the progress of empires throughout time. He, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, you, O king, are the head of gold. Well, how'd you like to be that one? You're like, that's right. I am the head and I'm out of, made out of gold. So there's no ego trip there at all, right? He said, but that another kingdom will follow you and it will be a kingdom of silver. Then a kingdom will follow that one. It will be a kingdom of bronze. Then a kingdom will follow that one and it will be a kingdom of iron. And then there will be a final kingdom that will be a mixture of iron and clay. He tells him the succession of, of empires that are going to rule the world. And you say... This is often a question. People often say, well, why does the Bible only speak of these specific empires? There were other empires in the world, okay? The Chinese had an empire. They had a dynasty, in case you didn't know that. India actually had a dynasty. They had an empire. There were other empires throughout the world during this time. God's interest is only in the empires that directly interacted with Israel. And so the empires that the Bible is speaking of are empires only that, the only empires God is speaking of, the only empires that had any interest to him at all, were those that interacted with Israel. And so he's going to show a timeline of all of these nations that would interact with Israel. Babylon was the head of gold. They would be followed by an empire, interesting, that was made up of two. And what did Daniel see? He saw two arms and a chest. And the the empire that followed the Babylonians would be the Medes and the Persians. They would be followed by the Greeks, and then they would be followed by the Romans. The Romans were iron, and it's interesting, the Roman Empire split in two, became the Eastern and the Western Empire, and it would be followed by a final empire that would be a part of iron, but it would be mixed with clay. And you say, what does that mean? Hold on. The relevance of these empires, they all had, they all had Israel in common. Daniel interprets the king's impressed, and he promotes Daniel. He's like, dude, why, why, are you, why are you a student? You need to be running these guys. And so Daniel was promoted to the leader of the Magi. 
Now all of a sudden, Daniel, who was a student of the Magi, became leader of the Magi. People wonder, how in the world did the Magi know that Jesus was going to be born? Because Daniel was the leader of the Magi. And Daniel said, you guys like stars? Let me tell you about a star. I'm going to tell you all about a star because the prophecy of the star was all the way back in the book of Exodus. A star will rise out of Jacob and a scepter. And it's saying that they all, the, the king's star will point the way to the Messiah. He knew all this. And so these magi, they're going, where is the one who would be born king? For we have what? Seen his star. Well, how in the world did they even know about a star? Because from that moment when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the Nebuchadnezzar made him leader of the magi. He, he got promoted, Right. So what happens, Daniel becomes ruler of the Magi, and what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He's like, what a vision, what a dream. What does he do? Anybody know? He builds a statue of the dream. That's what we would all do, right? He's like, that's a crazy dream. I'm going to build a statue of what I saw. So he builds a 90-foot statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, the Bible said, out of solid gold, according to his dream, and he commands everybody to worship it. And I'm sure Daniel was going, um... This isn't exactly where I was going when I was interpreting the dream. He's like, I'm the head of all of these empires and I'm gold. Therefore, I will put a statue of myself before all people of gold and all shall worship me. So Nebuchadnezzar did. That's how Daniel, if you know the story, that's how Daniel ended up in the lion's den. He wouldn't bow to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. That's another story. Daniel 7. So the king, say with me, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue. And in Daniel chapter 7, years, a few years go, coming into this, next slide, yep, so go to the next slide, Daniel has a vision. What's important to understand here is Daniel was in training when he interpreted the dream, and now heaven itself is talking to him. So Daniel not only was trained, Daniel at this point was more equipped to interpret what God was about to tell him. And so now God begins to give Daniel a vision, and this vision that he gives Daniel is the same vision, is the, it parallels the dream that he gave Nebuchadnezzar. But instead of seeing a humans, the heavens sees beasts. So Dan, Nebuchadnezzar's having a dream, and his dream is manly. His dream is empirical. Empires, gold and silver and bronze and iron, ruling the earth. That's how Nebuchadnezzar saw. Heaven saw the same thing, but didn't view it as human achievement. It viewed those people as, as beasts. And so now Daniel's having a vision, and the Lord is saying, this is how I see what Nebuchadnezzar saw. So Nebuchadnezzar saw it this way, because that's how he could understand it. And I'm going to show you how heaven sees. It's not human achievement. Jesus isn't impressed with human achievement. I don't know if you're aware of that. He's not impressed with the PhDs and MBAs and your bank account and your stock portfolio. It doesn't impress him. Nothing wrong with those things, but that stuff doesn't impress him, doesn't. What impresses him is when you know who you are in him. When a son or a daughter knows who they are, he doesn't care. I'm a, I'm a Harvard grad, so, I mean, big deal. He doesn't understand. None of that matters. It's not that it's not important, but from heaven's perspective, human achievement ranks very, very low. It really does. God is an entry. He's not impressed with what, do you, what, what you can do. He's not. He's not. Because God doesn't want you doing it. He wants to do it with you. He's impressed. His, his, his heart towards you is not you doing it by yourself, but doing it with him. He's not going to say with me. This is, this, I, I love it. This is good. Say with me. This rubs Christians the wrong way. Come on, help me out. But I like it. Right? Some of y'all need to, you need to be shifted from your perspective. Say this with me. Jesus will not do it without me. Jesus will not do it for me. 
Let's let that marinate for a second. However, he will do it with me. Do you understand that? You have a role to play. You have a role to play. Your role to play is in partnership with his spirit to manifest the things that he has promised. He's not doing it for you. God gives a prophetic word. But he's not going to perform that word exclusively by himself. He's going to require partnership for you to walk with him into that word that he speaks over your life. You're going to now have to align with what he says. You're now going to have to commune with him on what did that mean, Lord? Why were you saying that? What is my responsibility in what you're telling me? What steps do you want me to take? You're going to have to align with partnership. He gives a word over your life and that has not, that again is not your responsibility to fulfill it. It's your, say with me, it's not my responsibility. To fulfill my mandate it is not my responsibility to fulfill my anointing. It is, come on, my responsibility to partner with heaven. Every Christian has a mandate. There is something on your life that is called by heaven that you are to do. That's called a mandate. It's a must. You are mandated by God. This is what you say. I don't know what it is. Well, then you need to start inquiring of that. Every Christian is empowered. There's mandates, there's ministries, and there's anointings. Every Christian has a ministry. You're all called to the ministry of reconciliation. Your job is to reconcile people to Jesus. How do I do that? Well, there's lots of ways to do that. But nonetheless, you have a ministry. Every Christian is called to serve the Lord in ministry by, by witnessing for him and drawing people unto him. Every believer. The, thank you. The anointing is, say it with me, the anointing empowers the ministry. Okay? The mandate that is given over your life is a decree that is given over your life. And, it, and, that, and mandates oftentimes are unfolded in steps. There's a greater mandate, but you will not understand the greater mandate because you can't do the simple mandate. Mandate one, come to church. I can't do that. I can't come to church. Well, you're never going to get mandate five because you can't do mandate one. You don't understand one plus one equals two. So how in the world is he going to give you something higher than that when you can't even do a basic thing? The anointing empowers the mandate and the anointing empowers the ministry. The purpose of anointing is the, is the spiritual power of God anointed upon a person to fulfill the mandate and to fulfill the ministry. That's it. That's what all of that stuff means. And so here's what's going on with Daniel. Daniel is anointed. He has a mandate to be a prophet before this king. He has a ministry to reflect God's counsel to this king. It's true. Daniel sees beasts. He sees a lion with eagle's wings. So what he was seeing, he's seeing the lion with eagle's wings. Anybody know some of the symbols of Babylon? Anybody ever been to museums? You ever seen Babylon? One of their symbols was a lion with wings. Are you aware of that? So they had a griffin, they had, a, they had like a kind of like a lion looking thing, and then they had another kind of creature called a griffin, but they always represented their kingdom. One of the symbols of their kingdom was a lion with wings. So G- he's seeing the lion with wings. So, okay, Babylon. Then he sees a bear with three ribs in his mouth that comes and beats the lion. Then he sees a leopard with four heads. What? And four sets of wings. Then he sees a crazy monster with 10 horns, three horns, one horn, and teeth made out of iron. You say, what in the world is he seeing? Right? Is he tripping? <laughs> did he not he had, did he eat pizza that night? I mean, what, what's going on? And here's what most Christians would do. Here's the Christians. I'm going to tell you what Christians do. The devil's in my dreams. The devil's in my dreams. Oh, I'm having these crazy dreams. The devil's in my dreams. If you want to think the devil's in your dream, look at that one. 
The devil wasn't in his dream. That was the Lord talking to him in sovereignty. It was the Lord decreeing something, and he had to get interpretation from the Lord. The lion that he saw was Babylon. That was the present kingdom. The bear that he saw was a kingdom that was coming. The Medes and the Persians. There was something called a Persian bear. It was very famous. They used to, they, I think they still wrestle bears in Persia. You, you, am I right? So the bear was a huge symbol of the Persians. And they wrestle them to this day. The bear would be, a, would be an, a nation that would conquer the Babylonians. He's seeing the timeline. Babylon, he had three ribs in his mouth. Babylon had three providences. And so what Daniel is seeing is there's going to be a nation that embodies a bear that comes, it crushes the, the lion, and takes all three of its ribs. And, Bab- and the Medes and the Persians conquered the three providences that belonged to the Babylonians. They conquered Egypt. That's how the Jews ended up, in, up there was because Babylon was going to conquer Egypt. And they had to go through Israel to get to Egypt. So they conquered everybody on the way. The Persians come into power. They, they take Egypt. They take Babylon itself. And then ultimately they take a province called Lydia. Lydia. Anybody ever seen uh, Rise of the Empires 300? Come on. Do I got any, any, got any got like Rise of the Empires, right? Okay, you see that? You know that movie? In Darius, right? The guy that's the Medes and the Persians. I mean, it's, it's Hollywood, so it's fictionalized. But they are there, and they're in Lydia, and they're conquering Lydia. They had conquered Lydia before, which is a Greek province. And what happened was that Darius, Cyrus the Mede, came and conquered Babylon. But his ancestors, Darius the first, Darius the second, Darius the third, in that succession, they conquered Lydia. They conquered the Greeks, but they were so brutal to the Greeks. They did not treat them with mercy and kindness. They killed all of their royals. They killed Alexander, some of Alexander's ancestors and some of his family members. And Alexander's had a... Anybody ever heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great went on a rampage. He had one mission in life. And you know what it was? Defeat the Persians. If you read anything about Alexander, everything else he did was noise. His number one life goal was defeat the Persians. Why? Because the Persians had been an oppression. When they went into Lydia, they oppressed Lydia so bad, they murdered people. His father was Philip the Macedon. And it is noted that the Persians paid to have Philip poisoned. And so Philip was killed. And Alexander knows, hey, man, these guys are not only the ones who've ravaged my land. These are the guys that killed my old man. Right? So Alexander, when he became of age, crazy story. Alexander's a crazy figure. Alexander, when he became of age, he took his father's army and he marched completely outnumbered, completely outgunned, but he had a mission. He was going to defeat the Persians. He didn't care if he died. He was going to defeat the Persians. And he did. He did. And so Daniel is seeing, so you have Nebuchadnezzar seeing the succession of head of gold, arms of, 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 of silver, which represented the Medes and the Persians. And he sees the succession that comes down to the, to the waste of bronze, which is the Greek. And there's a lot I could say off that, why it's the waste. But Daniel sees the, he sees the Babylonians as the lion, he sees the Persians as the bear, and he sees the, uh, the Greeks as the leopard. Anybody know anything about Alexander? He conquered the known world by the time he was like in his early 30s. That's speed. And the Bible is representing him as a leopard with four heads and four wings, which means moves fast. Can't catch him. They could never, they could never get a hand on Alexander. Alexander defeated the Persians with speed and efficiency that studied in it, the United States has something called a war college. I don't know if you know that. Alexander's tactics are studied today in the war college. 
If you know anything about Civil War history, Stonewall Jackson, I'm not taking a side, nor you're talking about the South, Kevin. And Stonewall Jackson was such a student of Alexander, he was able to defeat the Union. He would be outnumbered three and four to one, and he would still defeat the Union every time. Stonewall Jackson almost never lost a battle. And he, the re- reason he didn't lose a battle was he studied the tactics of Alexander. Fight from the high ground, get to the point first, always deceive your enemy. Do he, dece- he, he, he followed Alexander's tactics. And Alexander was strike first, strike hard, used, a, used a crazy tactics. And so Alexander became the leopard with four heads. When Alexander died, his kingdom was divided into four. And if you know that, he had four generals. And those four generals took over the four areas of, the, of, of his empire. The two most important were Seleucius and Ptolemy. Okay? Seleucius and Ptolemy, there's a whole conflict there. Ptolemy, uh, anybody heard of Cleopatra? Right? She, was a, she wasn't Egyptian. She was a descendant of the Greeks. She, she was a descendant of Ptolemy. You understand that? So they had, they had conquered the Egyptians, even though they adopted Egypt and Egyptian lifestyle. The people that were actually running Egypt at that time, at that period of time, were the Greeks. Right? Seleucus was, the, was in the north. That's a, that's a whole other line of history. But what ends up happening is that this leopard with four heads and four sets of wings conquers the known world, conquers all of Persia, and then ultimately it divides into four. Just like the Bible says, how in the world does Daniel know this? He doesn't know it because the Lord is representing it to him down the timeline of history in these figurative things. We know this after the fact. Then he sees this crazy monster coming up out of the sea with ten horns, three horns, one horn, and, a, and teeth of iron. And he's completely freaked out by this. He's like, okay, I kind of get the lion with the wings, the bear with the teeth. You know, I'm feeling that. The leopard with the wings, all right, we're kind of getting out there a little bit. But what in the world am I looking at here? He sees, a, he sees this crazy monster. It was greater than all that preceded it. Nebuchadnezzar rules for about 40 years. His grandson takes over, and, and the Babylonians fall. This is all history. This, just like the Bible says, this happens. He's proclaiming it before it happens. They fall to the Medes, not under Darius, under Cyrus. So Cyrus captures Babylon. This is what happens. Nebuchadnezzar lived. Nebuchadnezzar died. His grandson ruled. So when Nebuchadnezzar died... This will help some of you. <laughs> I hope. I pray. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar dies, but his son was too entitled, and he couldn't take the throne. His son was worshiping all the gods. Basically, his son was in the ashram, smoking the hookah and dropping hallucinogenics, and he was unfit to rule. And so the Babylonians found his grandson. That's why this is, this is again, this is history. The Bible, the Bible isn't some myth that people made up. It is a literal, accurate documentation of history. People, our history comes from the scriptures. It's not like history confirms the scriptures. Wrong answer. Scripture confirms history. They said for years, there's no one named Belshazzar in the, in the lineage. Uh, what is it? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son was not named Belshazzar. And it's like, that's right. But his grandson was. And they're like, what happened, to his, what happened to his son? Well, his son was too checked out. And so the throne went to Belshazzar. And so Belshazzar rules. And, we, and they just found that out in the 20th century. And so all these stuff, people like wanting to be critics of the Bible and wanting to say all this nonsense. Oh, the Bible's not true. Lord. What, what the heck do you know? You did that research where? You listened to some PhD that in, in some school that is completely godless and has no spirit in them at all. And they're going to tell you that because they don't want to serve a God, they're going to look for any excuse they can to invalidate the word. The Bible says the rocks cry out. The rocks cry out. 
They said there was no King David. I think this is 19th and 20th century too. They just discovered that there actually was a King of David. There wasn't, now they don't say it anymore. But there was a time when they would say, there's no evidence that there was ever a kingdom of David. Now they find all the evidence. All they got to do is put a shovel in the ground. That's all they got to do. Stick a shovel in the ground and they're going to find the evidence because the rocks are going to cry out. So Belshazzar led. Belshazzar liked to party too. Belshazzar went and took the articles of the temple and began to party with them and began to drink with them. And the night that he was partying, many, many Tekelu Parson, the writing on the wall. Anybody never heard that? You've got to see the writing on the wall. That comes from the Bible. The Lord, a hand appeared and wrote and told, told, basically told Belshazzar it's over. That night, Cyrus the Mede had dammed up the river because they said Babylon will never fall, was surrounded by walls and a river. Well, um, Cyrus says, well, we don't need, he's the Mede, the Persian. He he said, we don't need to go over the walls. We're going to dam the river. And so they dammed the river. The river dried up and they marched into Babylon underneath the wall. And they literally took Babylon, the city of Babylon, without firing a shot, without even drawing a sword. They took the city by just marching under the walls. And they came walking into Belshazzar's palace while Daniel's there. So his knees left him. He like, like the whole deal happened. Cyrus captures it. So this happens. Egypt, Lydia, and Babylon. These are the three providences that he captured. So there you have the, you have the, the bear. Are you guys getting anything out of this? Okay, good. All right. I'm glad I'm happy (laughs) because I I get so excited. I'm like, this is so cool. And I'm like, okay, calm down, Kevin. Just, just calm down. And so Alexander defeats Darius III 150 years later. And the reason that, so you have Babylon falls, say it with me, Babylon falls to the Persians. The Persians fall to the Greeks, right? And so then the Greeks, what happened is their empire divided and eventually Rome conquered them all. That's the kingdom of iron that comes. And so Alexander defeats Darius 150 years later. Do you know that some of Alexander's battles, he was outnumbered 10 to 1? 10 to 1. The, the Persians, were, they would mock Alexander. They said, he's a flea. We're going to flick him off of us. He's a flea. <laughs> 10 to 1. And he, and he beat them. Crazy. Alexander conquered with speed and precision. Another story about Alexander. I love Alexander. Anybody ever heard of the Gordian knot? You ever heard that, that term, Gordian knot? There was a knot in ancient Greece that was tied. And it was said, this is crazy. It's a cool story. I love to tell this story. Get back to the Bible, Kevin. I'm getting there. Okay. There's a story in Greece. There was a knot that was tied. And, you know, Greeks had all these different relic places that you would go and visit. And um, the oracle at Delphi. And one of the places was the knot at Gordian. And so Alexander went to the, to the place where the Gordian knot was. And the, 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 the prophecy was, was that the one who could untie the knot was fit to rule the world. So men for centuries would come and try to figure out how to do the knot. Alexander walks in, takes a look at the knot, draws his sword and cuts it. The one who undoes the knot is fit to rule the world. He drew his sword and cut the knot. Boom. Is that crazy? That's just, that's like a, that's like a, that's, that's like another cool story about Alexander. So Alexander conquers with speed and precision. He dies. He actually died in Persia. His kingdom was divided. All four of his generals, they said, look, no reason for us to fight amongst ourselves. There's plenty to go around. So Alexander's army divided into four, just like the Bible says. There's another verse that says exactly what happened, which I don't have time to get into. Then this monster of Rome appears. Nebuchadnezzar saw it as two empires. So Nebuchadnezzar, say Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Daniel had a vision. So in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he saw iron legs, iron and clay feet. So he saw two stages. Daniel only sees it as one. What Daniel is seeing is he's seeing a composite. 
He's seeing the two empires, but he's only seeing it reflected as one because he's looking down a timeline. If that timeline that he was looking at was elevated, he would see that that iron kingdom was two. But because he's looking down a timeline, he's looking through it. He's seeing them both in combined. This monster of Rome, as Nebuchadnezzar saw it successively, Daniel saw it as one. So there's a near and far, say this with me, prophecy in the Bible always has a near application and a far application. You understand that? So when there's a prophetic word, there's an application for that word in the now. But that word, because God's word does not, does not end, it keeps going forward. So there's an application in the now, and there's a far fulfillment. In the near and the far, so he's seeing Rome. Two legs, feet and iron of Rome. Daniel's seeing it as one. In the near, Rome decimated everyone, just like this beast that, he fre- that completely freaked him out, right? So Daniel sees this monster that just destroys everything and no one can stop it, right? Rome decimated everybody. They formed an empire out of ten conquered providences. So you have ten horns, just like Daniel said. Rome conquered ten providences. It's not ten tribes or ten people. He conquered Rome. The Roman Empire conquered Augusta, or, uh, Caesar, conquered ten providences. There's a lot of nations within a providence. You understand that, right? Galatia, there's, there, they, had, they had all of these different regions. So the Romans conquered ten. So he sees a crazy monster with ten horns. This is the near. This is also going to happen in the far. He sees a crazy monster with ten horns, three horns, one horn, and with teeth of iron. Ten providences. There were also ten emperors, which the horns represent leaders. Ten emperors from Augustus to Vespian. So if you want to look at just how the timeline from when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus was in power. There were ten emperors from Caesar Augustus to Caesar Vespian who destroyed the temple. So again, you can see where God is focusing. So he sees this empire and it's reflected with ten leaders. It's reflected with ten providences. What is the Bible doing? It's narrowing the language. It's giving us keys to interpret. You understand that? People say, well, why doesn't God just say it plain? Why doesn't he say it straight? Well, he tells us why. He hides those things from the wise and he reveals them to the humble. Do you understand that? He reveals it. It's all there in plain sight. People could see it. This stuff's taught. You know, they could hear this message and people could go, this is happening. It's happening while we speak. So that's the near prophecy. In the far, there was a, for, reform, there was a reformation. So the Bible tells us, that Rome is going to be on the scene in the last days. This is what the Bible tells us. Have you ever heard that before? Anybody ever heard that before? Some of you have, some of you haven't. So Dan, Nebuchadnezzar sees iron legs that split in two. They split in two, right? Then he sees an empire at the end of days that is iron and it has clay and the rock flies out of the mountain. And where does it hit the statue? Does it hit it in the head? Does it hit it in the knees? Does it hit it in the groin? No, all the vulnerable spots. No, the rock smashes it at the feet. What the Bible is telling us is the iron is a reformation of the former empire. It is a reformation of the iron. And that iron mixes with clay. Anybody know what clay is in the Bible? Anybody? Jeremiah, I am the potter and you are the... Right, he's talking to Israel. There's different figurative representations throughout the scripture that represent the nation of Israel. Now, it can be applied broadly to the church. This is true. But when it comes to the prophecy, it applies directly back to the nation. So this reformed Roman government, reformed Roman empire, is going to join itself with Israel. What With what? A covenant of peace. Anybody ever heard anything about the covenant of peace? Like, there's, there's no peace in the Middle East? 
And if you turn on the news, they're not going, man, we need to, we really need to get some peace in uh, Rwanda. You know, they might say that every now and then, but it's not a consistent narrative. Israel is a consistent narrative. Middle East peace, that concept has been going on for a while now. And so there's going to come a leader out of this reformed Roman government who is going to join himself. He's going to find a way. How is it going to happen? Who knows? But he's going to unite. He's going to come up with some peace plan that unites his government with the clay. And Jesus is like, no. He said, I come in my father's name and you do not receive me. One will come in his own name. Him you will receive. Speaking of the Antichrist, that's who will rule this this government. This 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 revived Roman Empire of these ten providences will be ruled by one leader. That's the three to the one, right? So what Daniel is seeing is he's seeing a a monster that has ten horns, ten providences. He's seeing a monster that has uh, he has um, ten horns, three horns, and one horn. Revelation gives the same imagery, but it uses ten, seven. 10 and 7. So it uses the same, the same, the same exact energy. So what's gonna, I'm just going to give it to I, I want to explain this, but I don't have the time to get, really get deep into it. I'm just trying to give you an overview. A leader will arise and form power from three. So what's going to happen is there's going to be a revival, a reunification of the former Roman provinces. Anybody know where that is? Anybody know? Where, where was Rome? Anybody? Italy. Italy is part of what continent? Europe, right? There's going to be a reform. And do we have anything that would indicate that Europe has a unification at all? We have a European Union, do we not? Does anybody know when that happened? 1990s, right? It's, they started forming it in 1958, but they didn't like officially do it until the late 80s, early 90s. In your lifetime, Rome has reunified. It doesn't resemble what Daniel's talking about, but nonetheless, the provenances of Rome, they're coagulating. They're moving. In your lifetime, Christian, not in your grandparents' lifetime. Not in, not, in, not in 1800. It didn't happen. It's happening right now. There was a coagulation of, just as Daniel said, a reformation of that Roman Empire. A leader will arise. So what's the three horns and the one horn? He's seeing these ten providences, and out of the three comes one. So there's going to come one nation who will draw three to himself. Right? And that leader who, who has one draws three to himself, gains influence over the other seven. So what the Bible is, is cryptically telling us is that there will be one leader who will be the dominant ruler over these ten providences. That's what it's telling us. And, he, and the, the leader speaks blasphemous things. Well, what does it mean he speaks blasphemous things? Does he use the name GD all the time? Is that what he's saying? No, he opposes everything about the gospel. And the Bible says he comes like a lamb. He comes in the form of a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. Huh? And the whole world will be under his sway. The whole world. Oh, he's such a good guy. Peace in the Middle East. Can't we all get along? All gods are like Jesus. That's what, that's what leader so-and-so says. That there's, there's no exclusivity to Jesus. That's what he's going to oppose. You don't think that's happening? You're crazy. Jesus' is, Jesus is exclusivity, it, even within the church, has lost its status. It has. You have pastors today that are basically preaching what's known as an ecumenical gospel. We're all the same. We all worship the same God. No, we do not. If your God doesn't look like Jesus, you do not worship the same God. I hate to tell you. Jesus is not Allah. Not the same God. Not. Jesus is who he is, the preeminent one. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Not at the name of Allah. Not at the name of Buddha. Not at the name of Krishna. Not at the God of, not of any, any of the other plurality of men's gods. 
Jesus alone. He's exclusive. And what this Antichrist will do is he will take the exclusivity of Jesus and he will create a plurality of it. And the Bible calls it blasphemy. If I or an angel of light preach to you any other gospel that you have heard, let them be accursed. They will proclaim another gospel. And that gospel will include an opposition to the deity of Jesus or the inclusion of Jesus among all other gods. He's exclusive. He's the one and only. There's no one like him, people. And, you, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not the, you are not on equal standard on any, on any level. You're not. You're not in, God, in heaven's eyes, you're the favored. The people of the world are not favored. Well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. Stick around. I talk about that all the time. We're not. To those who receive Christ, they're given the, given the title of sonship and daughtership. Only to those who receive Christ. They're God's creation, but they're not God's sons and daughters. Only those in Christ are God's sons and daughters. You are not like everybody else. In heaven does not see you that way. So the, the idea is that you need to stop seeing yourself that way because you're not. You're a son of the highest. You're a daughter of the highest. Why do you make the choices you make, son of the highest? Why do you make the choices you make, daughter of the highest? He sends a rolls for you, Charmaine. A rolls. Is that crazy? Like I was praying about that word and I felt like the Lord goes, I'm sending a rolls. A rolls? <laughs> I guess because that's as high a car, that's as high a vehicle as I could imagine. I guess that was, let's see, what can Kevin imagine? Can he imagine a starship? No, he can't. But he's on the level of a Rolls Royce. So let's tell him a Rolls. He'll understand the connection. <laughs> crazy. So this guy's going to gain influence over three. So he's going to start off as one leader who gets three nations to himself. Eventually, he'll consolidate power among all of the other ten. And he'll hold court over all ten. He'll unite the old Rome with clay. The stone will smash the clay. This leader, through the European Union, or some form thereof, it may not be named the European Union. Who knows what they're going to name it? But whatever it is, the EU, this leader will be a leader of the EU. You need to write that down and you need to Twitter it. The EU is going to play a central figure. It doesn't mean all the people of Europe are bad people. It just means that those governments that have been part of that, that former thing will fall sway to a leader. And that leader will do one of the things he's going to come across as a man of peace. And, and the, the highest mark of his man of peace is he's going to get a Middle East peace plan. Into that Middle East peace pan, the Bible clearly states it. Say it with me. The temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. I don't care what CNN tells you. They're not giving Jerusalem back. They're not giving Israel back. Israel is not giving up that land. Not because of Israel, but because of Abraham. You hear me say this. Not because of Israel, but because of David. God has a covenant with Abraham. God has a covenant with, with David. And he is going to be faithful to David, and he's going to be faithful to Abraham, even if the people of this generation are not faithful. He will be faithful to Abraham. Amen. They're not giving that land back ever again. And Israel will build the temple on the Temple Mount. It, do, it looks like an impossibility, doesn't it? There's like, if you know anything about that geopolitical situation, that looks like that is impossible to happen. But it'll happen. Write it down. 100%. The Bible says it. And when it happens, everybody's going to go, wow, what? They're building a temple. How'd that happen? The man of peace has brokered a deal between the Arabs. The the Muslims are given this and the Arabs are given this, but the Jews get to get what they want. They get to build the temple on the Mount and they'll build the temple and they'll start blood sacrificing and the news media will be there covering it for the first time in two or three millennia. The Jews offer the Passover lamb on the, on the temple Mount 
And the blood that hasn't been spilled on that mount since Jesus will fall. And it'll be there. They'll be doing the sacrifices. And the Bible says he put the Antichrist puts an end to it. Halfway in, he puts an end to it. So he lets him do it for a while. It all happens. There's so much connection to this. But there's a reunification. John parallels the same thing. I'm not going to do a synopsis of the book. I'm going to give you a, a brief synopsis of the book of Revelation. But I'm going to skip some things just to highlight the things. John has the same thing. So Daniel sees this vision. This is also related in other prophets. But Daniel articulates it very clearly. And John, in the book of Revelation, says the same thing. John doesn't see one beast. He sees three. So you don't think John was tripping. I mean, like, he sees three. He sees a dragon that falls from heaven, yet comes out of a bottomless pit. Now, who might that be? Right. So the first thing he sees, the dragon falls from heaven, but he's coming out of a bottomless pit. Okay. Then he stands, that dragon is standing on the seashore, and out of the sea rises another beast. Well, what sea? The Mediterranean Sea. This is where the Bible is focusing the geopolitical. It isn't going to be in the Atlantic. This is going to be in the Pacific. This isn't in the Indian Ocean. This is going to happen in the Mediterranean. On the bank, because that is the hole where all of that circled. That was called the Roman Sea. And that this beast is going to rise out of the Mediterranean. Reflecting back again, it's biblical interpretive language. Telling us this sea, it's relating to us. It's giving us a geo-target as to where this is happening. It's going to happen. This, this beast is going to come up out of the Mediterranean Sea. And the dragon is going to give his power to this beast. <laughs> That's crazy. This beast that he sees has a body of a leopard. There's Daniel. Has feet like a bear. There's Daniel. Has mouth like a lion. That's Daniel again. And he speaks blasphemous things. There's Daniel again. He's not running around cursing, saying, using swear words. Blasphemy is, is, the, is, the, is Jesus. That's really what it is. It's either the work of Christ, the, this, the sufficiency of Christ, the exclusivity of Christ, or it's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's where the Bible equates blasphemy. That's, that's really where, where it's, it's, we're, we're outside. The, and that's what he's going to be doing. He's going to be opposing those things. This beast rises out of the sea, looks like that. John sees ten horns. Here's John tripping. He sees ten horns, seven heads, and ten crowns. What? How is it possible to have ten horns, seven heads, and ten crowns? How's that possible? Okay, so the seven, the ten horns are seven. So this beast that he sees are reflective of the ten providences of the former Roman Empire. Same language. So this beast rises up, ten horns, seven heads, seven heads of state. Why is there seven heads of state and ten crowns? Because remember, so you have seven, and out of those seven, one takes three to himself. So six plus one is seven, plus three is ten. You understand that? That's the math. So the Bible, again, is being cryptic here. Being cryptic. It's showing us. He's saying the same thing Daniel's saying. That one horn with the three horns, okay, is four plus six is ten. So he's, but he's only seeing seven. The six providences he's seeing plus the Antichrist with the three that are with him. So he's seeing seven. You understand? But in that seven, there's ten. Just like in the tribes of Israel, there's technically 13 tribes. I don't know if you know that, but God always reflects it as ten, as, as twelve. Because the Levites belong to him. But there's technically 13 tribes. If you take two Joseph's two sons, there's 13. But God always reflects them as 12 because he said, Levi belongs to me. Always reserves a portion for himself. So under the rulership of the one who represents the three. So these providences will come under the leadership. Next slide. That's the euro. A woman riding a beast. You see that? It's like the first time when the Euro, when European Union came about, they put a, of all the pictures you could pick. I mean, have you all not read Revelation? 
A woman on a, on a beast with a cup in her hand. She's got an olive branch there. But a woman on riding a beast with an olive branch, with a cup in her hand, drunk on the blood of the saints. Have you not read that? Is that anywhere in your history at all? Yet right over their head and their emblem, their emblem, their emblem on their money is a woman riding a beast. They've changed it a couple of times, but that was one of the first euros ever issued. Is that nuts? It's crazy. Next slide. So John sees three monsters. He sees a dragon. He sees this beast, this reformation of Rome. And then he sees a third monster that comes up out of the earth. The third monster has two horns, looks like a lamb, but he speaks like the dragon. So here you have, this is what, what, you know, if you want to get into eschatology, they would call this the false prophet. This is a person who has influence. It's a person or an entity. It could be a person. It could also be reflective of an entity that holds sway over political power and religious power. So there's going to be a person or an entity that rises from the earth that has two horns, right? And speaks on behalf of the beast, the monster, right? Not the dragon. The dragon, so okay, say with me. The dragon gives his power to the monster, okay? And we're going to call this, uh, I don't know, what are we going to call that? I don't know. The, okay, we'll call it the beast. Okay, so let's say this. The dragon, we're going to go back up. The dragon, the one that comes out of the sea is the beast. The dragon gives his power to the beast. He also gives his power to the monster. You understand that? You, you guys like sci-fis? I mean, this is like Godzilla. You know, this is like what's going on here. Bible's like greatest sci-fi book ever. You're like, what the heck? Flying starships, chariots of fire. Like, this is crazy. So he sees a third monster with two horns. He said, this, this person or this entity, it, more than likely, in my opinion, this is not in your Bible, but it's an entity. One person would never hold that sway, but an entity could hold the sway over religious and political power. We've seen it time and again. It still goes on. He speaks for the beast, but he speaks like the dragon. He calls the world to surrender to the system. The Bible calls that person in the beginning, the woman riding the beast, the false prophet, the whore, the Babylon, which that's a whole other story. Who is the whore of Babylon? Did you just use the word whore in church? It's in your Bible. (laughs) A prostitute, a religious system that prostitutes itself with everything else. There again is your ecumenicalism. It is a prostitution of all religions. Listen, do you guys know about purity of devotion? The Bible calls us to that, right? We're, we're, we wear white. We belong to Jesus. We don't worship foreign gods. We, we belong to him. Well, this religious system, this false prophet, again, will do a mixture of things. It will be a mixture of all religions. Ecumenicalism will be, we, we, will be the formation and the, the word of the day. And the Christians who claim exclusivity, you're going to be called bigot. You're going to be called out. So you think it happens now? It's going to, they're going to call you bigot. How dare you say that? We're all the same way. The Bible, there's going to be the sway. The Bible says a strong delusion to believe the lie. An atmosphere will become over the whole world. And it says if it is even possible, the elect can be deceived. But the idea is that you're not deceived. And one of the ways you're not deceived is that you actually know what's going on. Because most Christians will be like, oh, I don't know, man. It seems like a good idea to me. What do you think, Bill? Bill? And Bill's going to go, I don't know, man. There's something in the Bible about this. I think, no, that doesn't matter. Look at what's happening. Look at all the peace. Look at all the good things that are coming to the world. <laughs> That's what will happen. It's not like we're looking to people and Christians go, well, where are we looking for the Antichrist? Kevin, are we looking for Jesus? 
Jesus said, when you see the abomination that makes desolation, standing in the holy place as spoken of by the prophet Daniel, know that it's at the door. So technically, Jesus tells me, when you see the, when you see the abomination that makes desolation, standing in the holy place as spoken of by the prophet Daniel, know that it is near as even at the door. Technically. If you want to get technical. He says, then you will see the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. He didn't make an entrance first time around, Christian. He came in a manger. Next time around, he's making an entrance. Worthy of his kingship. That's right. When it all comes to consummation, there will be a hushed silence. And there will be a sonic flash that flashes across the whole earth. As lightning flashes to the east, to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. The lightning is going to be... And Jesus is going to come right through. Through the lightning, he will come. He's going to rend time and space. He's going to tear it. And eternity is going to step into time, but this time not in a manger. This not time not through the womb of a mother. He's coming in glory. You know what the Bible says? This will, this will really rattle your images of Jesus. The Bible says he blows the trumpet. The trumpet will be blown. The angel will blow the trumpet, the shofar. And you know what happens at the end of the shofar blast? You know what the Bible tells us he does? He shouts. He shouts. Can you imagine that? Angel comes through. Blast that trumpet, and Jesus is standing there, and then he shouts. You don't think, oh, we need to be silent in the presence of the Lord. It's undignified, undignified. I tell you this all the time because the Bible does not portray Jesus as dignified at all. He leaps from his throne, twirls in the air, shouts, sings over you war songs of deliverance. He sings over you, over you. Back to your words, Charmaine. I heard him singing over you. I told you before. And he was singing over you. When you were on the ground, he kept saying, I'm lifting you higher now. I'm lifting you higher. Forgive my singing. Into heavenly places, heavenly places. So what I felt like he was singing over you. He sings over you. You don't think Jesus is worried about, he think he's worried about what you think of him? And whether or not you think he's dignified and he's doing it the right way, he's going to shout. He's coming for you with a shout with a shout and as if to make it even greater he's sending angels and you're going to fly in the air if you're alive when he comes you're flying i mean like just how cool that that just always is blown out i'm like i'm gonna fly <laughs> matthew 24 he sends his angels to gather his elect and meet him in the air i was telling you before i got a i got a i got a towel it's my rapture towel i'm going up with a cape angels are like hey kevin we're here for you man we're here for you. We got to take it. We're, Jesus is here. He's waiting. Come on. Hold on. Let me get my, let me be right back. I'm going to come running out of the house with a towel. I'm going to go, let's go. I'm going to be flying. Y'all going to be like, oh, and I'm going to be like, duh, 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 duh. I have waited for this hour. <laughs> this leader will hold sway. This, this monster will hold political, religious, and economic power. He will have a political system, a religious system in place, ecumenical, and he will hold economic sway. He's going to give a mark. Anybody ever heard of that? Mark of the beast. We talked about that. I'm not going to get into it. 666. This is his number. 666. We need to be worried about 666. It means man, man, man. That's the number. That's the equation. This is the consummation of man's rebellion in the garden. Man wanted to be God, made made an alliance with, with, with Satan. And so here you see the full consummation of man wanting to be God. And man's alliance with the devil coming into full consummation. Jesus is going to let it go all the way to its fullness. And he's going to end it. 
So just in summary, I'm going to skip some of this. He's going to be a world leader that will kill everybody that opposes him. Have we seen anything like that? In our lifetime, do we see, have we witnessed anything? Well, this is never going to happen. Y'all live in the United States. Go to South Korea. Right? You, you just disappear. Where'd Uncle Jim go? We don't know. He, he just, you know, Van showed up and he just disappeared. Now he's gone. That's what happens. They just take you. You just snatch you. South Korea, Stalin, all the Caesars, they were all like that. Anybody that opposes them, they killed them. Total consolidation of power. Caesar put his image on the money. You couldn't buy and change. You, you had to change your money for Roman money. And the Jews go, wow, that's a great idea. So why don't we change Roman money for temple money? And they're like, they're profiting off this. Why don't we? That's why the Jesus flipped the tables. They had to get temple money. Long story there too. Anyway, so let's say this. So here's the summary. Europe will reunite. A leader out of that configuration at some point in history, tomorrow, who knows? I don't know. But we seeing, you're seeing the beginnings of all of this. It's crowning, ladies, if you know what that means. We have a crown. That doesn't mean you may be in, we may be in labor for another 48 hours, but we're crowning. Okay? So Europe will reunite. A leader will arise. Conflict will be followed by a brief peace. He'll make a covenant with Israel. The iron and the clay will come together, and Jesus will return, and he'll smash it. Next slide. That rock will fly out and end it. In our lifetime, 1948, Israel becomes a nation. First time. 1948. Israel has not been a nation since Christ, since Vespian destroyed the temple. He dispersed the Jews. 2,000 years in the history of the world, there has never been a nation that lost its nationality and reclaimed it. Not one. Except this one. Only one. And this is a nation that hasn't been a nation for 2,000 years. Yet in 1948... We see this happen. 1951, they form its first government. 1967, they take Jerusalem. This, this is within the last 100 years. This happened. Europe united within the last 50 years. You know, We have technology today that is able to replicate a buying and selling of a mark. I told you, Amazon's got it right now. Amazon. And where they want to put it, you know where they want to put it? They want to put it on your hand. You say, why the hand and the forehead? Because your skin is thin enough to read. You can scan... Because the skin's thin. 1988, Jewish resource. This is a whole other thing of prophetic. I won't get into that because I don't have the time. There's a consolidation of Europe. This is what we've seen in our lifetime. We've seen the reformation of the Jewish people. Or at least you didn't or your mother did or your grandmother saw it. But but Israel has been reformed in the last 100 years. Never before. Nobody else's lifetime saw that. Nobody else's ancestors could point to that. But you can. Nobody could. We have technology capable of extraordinary things, including DNA, tracking, coding, all kinds of stuff. You think DNA coding is for health benefits? It's to track you. You, you think your government really won? You, you got some of you are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Of course they're going to sell it to you that, they, that, it, that it's for your well-being. Of course Apple wants your right thumbprint. This is how they're going to secure your thumb or your phone. When you turn your phone on, we want you to push your right thumbprint. You realize what you're, you're giving your right thumbprint? And you're signing a consent to give them your right fingerprint, your thumbprint. And now they're doing retinal scans. Well, now my phone doesn't work with the thumbprint. Why? Because they've got your data. Now they want your retinal scan. Now you're going to now people people line up for it. Line up for it. Let me scan my retina. Let me do facial recognition because you think it's cool. There's a backstory to all this. It doesn't mean that Apple's sinister and they've got this plot. It's that there's an accumulation of things that will be event that can be used against you. You live in America, which means you have, that's why there's so many privacy rights in America, but you have to volunteer. That's why you have to sign all those consents because our constitution, they just can't take it from you. 
It's hard in Miami because so many people come from different countries that don't ask. In the United States, people fought to keep you free. To where no one could take anything from you, yet we willingly surrender it. Thomas Jefferson said, those who surrender security for the sake of freedom are worthy of neither freedom nor security. You do not surrender your freedom for the sake of security. Yet that's what we're doing. (laughs) Well, it just makes us safer. I know I'm done. The rise of the transportation age and the information age. If you heard me, I got to go. I got to (laughs) go. Bible says in the book of Daniel that the book of Daniel would not be open until men run to and fro and information would abound. In 1950 began the transportation age and 1991 began the information age. In your lifetime or in your parents' lifetime. Information age has begun. Transportation age has begun. The unfolding of the book of Daniel. It's in your lifetime. Does that mean Jesus is coming in my lifetime? I don't know. If the temple was on, if the temple was built, I'd say good likelihood. If there was a world leader that was signing a covenant with Israel, I'd say... um, you guys might want to just kind of <laughs> square some things up here. People go, well, that doesn't keep people faithful to Jesus. You know what keeps people faithful to Jesus? The love of Christ compels them. It's, it, you know, your day of the Lord begins when, when, you end, when you leave this life. This condition that you are in is the condition you will remain eternally. If you're not in Christ, then you are hopelessly and helplessly lost forever. Well, when I see all this happening, I'll come to Jesus. What happens if you get hit by a bus? God forbid. You know, people that die today don't think they were dying yesterday. Most don't. Most don't. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, let's, start, let's end it with this. We'll have a prayer team available for you. Mickey's going to be praying, right? And Selena. Mickey and Selena. But you, you, Mickey, they're going to be praying for you over there, and we'll have a prayer team available. But if you don't know Jesus, we're going to end with a prayer. We're going to come together. I want you to say this. We're going to pray it together. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a savior. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I pray you got something out of that deluge of information. Um, we'll have a prayer team available if you need prayer. we got about 10 minutes in between services. Say hi to somebody, and let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way, and may he give you peace. And forever may you live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.